Chapter 8. We Capture a Flag The next few days, I settled into a routine that felt almost normal. If you don't count the fact that I was getting lessons from Cyrus, Nims, and a centaur. Each morning, I took ancient Greek from Annabeth, and we talked about gods and goddesses in the present tense, which was kind of weird. I discovered Annabeth was right about my dyslexia. Ancient Greek wasn't that hard for me to read, at least no harder than English. After a couple of mornings, I could stumble through a few lines of Homer without too much headache. The rest of the day, I retreated through outdoor activities looking for something I was good at. Karen tried to teach me archery, but we found out pretty quick I wasn't any good with a bow and arrow. He didn't complain, even when he had to snag a stray arrow out of his tail. Foot raising? No good either. The wood nymph instructors left me the dust. They told me not to worry about it. They had centuries of practice running away from lovesick gods. But still, it was a little humiliating to be slower than a tree. And wrestling? Forget it. Every time we got on the map, Clarice would pulverize me. There's more where that came from, punk. She mumbled in my ear. The only thing I really excelled at was canoeing, and that wasn't the kind of heroic skill people expected to see from the kid who had beaten the Minotaur. I knew the senior campers and counselors were watching me, trying to decide who my dad was, but they weren't having an easy time of it. I wasn't as strong as the Aerith kids, or as good as Archer as Apollo kids. I didn't have a fantastic skill with metalwork, or gods forbid they not as way with vine plants. Luke told me I might be a child of Hermes, a kind of jack-of-all-trades, master of none. But I got the feeling of just trying to make me feel better. He really didn't know what to make of me either. Despite all that, I liked camp. I got used to the morning fog all over the beach, the smell of hot strawberry fields in the afternoon even the weird noises of monsters in the woods at night. I would eat dinner with Cabin Eleven, scrape part of my meal into the fire, and try to feel some connection to my real dad. Nothing came, just that warm feeling I'd always had, like the memory of his smile. I tried not to think too much about my mom, but I kept wondering if gods and monsters were real. If all this magical stuff was possible, surely there was some way to save her, to bring her back. I started to understand Luke's bitterness, and how he seemed to dis resent his father, Hermes. So, okay, maybe the gods had important things to do, but couldn't they call once in a while, or thunder or something? The Nauseous could make Diet Coke appear out of thin air. Why couldn't my dad, whoever he was, make a phone appear? Thursday afternoon, three days after I arrived at Camp Hapwood, I had my first sword fighting lesson. Everybody from Cabin 11 gathered in the big circular arena where Luke would be our instructor. We started with basic stabbing and slashing using some straw stuffed dummies and Greek armor. I guess I did okay. At least I understood what I was supposed to do and my reflexes were good. The problem was I couldn't find a blade that felt right in my hands. Either they were too heavy or too light or too long. Luke tried to his best to fix me up, but he agreed that none of the practice plays seemed to work for me. We move on to dueling in pairs. Luke announced he would be my partner since this was my first time. Good luck, one of the campers told me. Luke's the best swordsman in the last 300 years. 
Might be a little easy on me, I said. The camper snorted. Look showed me trust and parries and shield blocks the hard way. With every swipe, I got a little more battered and bruised. Keep her guard up, Percy, he'd say. Then whack me in the ribs with a flat of his plate. No, not that far up. Whack. Lounge. Whack. No, back. Whack. By the time he called a break, I was soaked in sweat. Everybody swarmed the drinks cooler. Luke poured ice water on his head, which looked like a, such a good idea. I did the same. Instantly, I felt better. Strength surged back into my arms. The sword didn't feel so awkward. Okay, everybody, lined up. Look ordered. If Percy doesn't mind, I want to give you a little demo. Great, I thought. Let's all watch Percy get pounded. Percy get pounded. Dermy's guys gathered around. There were suppressing smiles. I figured they'd been in my shoes before and couldn't wait to see how Luke used me for a punching bag. He told everybody he was going to demonstrate a disarming technique. How to twist the enemy's blade with the flat of your own sword so he had no choice but to drop his weapon. This is difficult, he stressed. I had it used against me. No laughing at Percy, nah. Most swordsmen have to work years to master this technique. He demonstrated this move on me in slow motion. Sure enough, my, the sword clattered out of my hand. Now in real time, he said, after I retrieve my weapon. We keep sparring until one of us pulls it off. Ready, Percy? I nodded. A look came out for me. Somehow I kept him from getting a shot at the hilt of my sword. My senses opened up. I saw his attacks coming. I countered. I stepped forward and tried a truss of my own. Luke deflected it easily. But I saw a change in his face. His eyes narrowed. And he started to press me with more force. The sword grew heavy in my hand. The balance wasn't right. I knew it was only a matter of seconds before Luke took me down. So I figured, what the heck? I tried a disarming maneuver. My blade hit the base of Luke's and I twisted, putting my whole weight into a downward thrust. Clang! Luke's sword rattled against the stones. The tip of my blade was an intramus and defended chest. The other campers were silent. I lowered my sword. Um, sorry? For a moment, Luke was too stunned to speak. Sorry? His scarred face broke into a grin. By the gods, Percy, why are you sorry? Show me that again. I didn't want to. This short burst of manic energy had completely abandoned me, but Luke insisted. This time there was no contest. The moment our swords connected, Luke hit the hilt and sent my weapon skidding across the floor. After a long pause, somebody in the audience said, Beginner's luck? Luke wiped the sweat out of his bro. He appraised me with an entirely new interest. Maybe, he said, but I wonder what Percy could do with a balanced sword. Friday afternoon, I was sitting with Grover at the lake, resting from a near-death experience on the climbing wall. Grover had scampered to the top like a mountain goat, but the lava had almost gotten me. My shirt had smoking holes on it. The hairs had been zinked off my forearms. We sat in the pier, watching knights do underwater basket weaving, until I got up the nerve to ask Grover how his conversation had gone with Mr. D. His face turned a sickly shade of yellow. 
fine, just great. So our career still on track? He glanced at me nervously. Could Kyron told you I want a searcher's license? Well, no, I had no idea what a searcher's license was. But it didn't seem like the right time to ask. He just said you had a big plans, you know, and that you needed credit for completing a keeper's assignment. So did you get it? Grover looked down at the knife, Mr. G's. Mr. Jesus bent in judgment. He said, I haven't failed or succeeded with you yet. So our fates are still, we're still tied together. If you got a quest and I went along to protect you, and I both came out alive, then maybe you'd consider the job done. Complete. My spirits lifted. Well, that's not so bad, right? Blah! It might as well have transferred me to stable cleaning duty. The chances of you getting a quest, and even you did, why would you want me along? Of course I want you along. Grover stared glumly into the water. Basket weaving. Must be nice of a useful skill. I tried to reassure him that he had lots of talents, but that just made him look more miserable. We talked about canoeing and swordplay for a while, then debated the pros and cons of the different gods. Finally, I asked him about the four empty cabins. Number eight. The silver one belongs to Artemis, he said. She vowed to be a maiden forever, so of course no kids. The cabin is, you know, honorary. If she didn't have one, she'd be mad. Yeah, okay, but daughter tree, the ones at the end, are those the big tree? Grover tense. We're getting close to a touchy subject. No, one of them. Number two is Harris, he said. That's another honorary thing. She's the goddess of marriage, so of course she wouldn't go around having affairs with mortals. That's her husband's job. Once we say the big three, we meant the three powerful brothers, the sons of Kronos. Zeus, Poseidon, Hades. Hades. Right. You know, after the great battle with the Titans, they took over the world from their dad and drew lots to decide who they got what. Zeus got the sky, I remembered. Poseidon the sea hates the underworld. Aha, uh -huh. but Hades doesn't. But Hades doesn't have a cabin here. No, he doesn't have a throne in Olympus either. He sort of does his own thing down in the underworld. If he had a cabin cabin here, Grover shuddered. Mm -hmm. Well, it would have been pleasant. Let's leave it at that. But Zeus and Poseidon, they both had like a bazillion kids in the midst. Why are their cabins empty? Grover shifted his hoofs uncomfortably. About 60 years ago, after World War II, the big three agreed they wouldn't sire any more heroes. Their children was, were just too powerful. They were affecting the course of human events too much, causing too much carnage. World War II, you know, that was basically a fight between the sons of Zeus and Poseidon on the other side and the sons of Hades on the other. The winning side, Zeus and Poseidon, made Hades swear an oath with them. No more affairs with mortal women. They all swore in the river sticks. Thunder boomed. I said, that's the most serious oath you can make. Grover nodded. And the brothers kept their word, no kids. Grover's face darkened. Seventeen years ago, Zeus fell off the wagon. There was his TV star with a big fluffy Aries hairdo. He just couldn't help himself. When their child was born, a little girl named Talia, well, the worst sticks is serious about promises. Zeus himself got off easy because he's immortal. 
but he brought a terrible fate on his daughter. But that isn't fair. It wasn't the kid's little, little girl's fault. Grover hesitated. Percy, children of the big tree have powers greater than other haplots. They have a strong aura, a stand that attracts monsters. When Hades found out about the girl, he wasn't too happy about Zeus breaking his oath. Hades let the worst monsters out of her terrace to torment Talia. Let the worst mon- Asir was assigned to be her keeper when she was twelve. But there was nothing he could do. He tried to escort her here with a couple of other half-bloods she'd befriended. They almost made it. They got all the way to the top of that hill. He pointed across the valley to the pine tree where I fought the minotaur. All three kindly ones were after them. Along with a horde of hellhounds, they were about to be overrun with Talia told her Sarah to take the other two haplets to safety while she held off the monsters. She was wounded and tired, and she didn't want to live like a hunted animal. Sarah didn't want to leave her, but he couldn't change her mind, and he had to protect the others. Daughters. So Talia made their final stand alone at the top of that hill. As she died, Zeus took pity on her. He turned her into that pine tree. Her spirit soul helps protect the borders of the valley. That's why it's called, the hill's called, Hapwood Hill. I stared at the pine tree, the distance. The sorrow made me feel hollow and guilty too. A girl my age has sacrificed herself to save her friends. She had faced a whole army of monsters. Next to that, my victory over the Minotaur didn't seem like much, I wondered. If I'd acted differently, could I have saved my mother? Grover, I said. Have heroes really gone on quests to the underworld? Sometimes, he said. Orpheus, Hercules, Houdini. And have they ever returned somebody from the dead? No, never. Orpheus came close. Percy, you're not seriously thinking. No, I lied. I was just wondering, so a satyr is always assigned to guard a demigod. Grover sighed me warily. I hadn't persuaded him that I really dropped the underworld idea. Not always. We go undercover to a lot of schools. We try to snip out half-bloods who have the markings of great heroes. If we find one with a very strong aura, like a child of the big tree, we alert Chiron. He tries to keep an eye on them since they could cause really huge problems. And you found me. Chiron said you thought I might be something special. Grover looked as if I had led him into a trap. I didn't. Oh, listen. Don't think like that. If you were, you know, you'd never be allowed in the quest. And I'd never get my lines in. So you're probably a child of Hermes. Or maybe one of or maybe even one of the minor gods, like Nemesis, the god of revenge. Don't worry, okay? I got the idea he was reassuring himself more than me. That night after dinner, there was a lot of more excited that excitement than usual. At last, it was time for Capture the Flag. When the plates were cleared away, the conch horn sounded as we all stood at our tables. Canvas yelled and cheered as Annabeth and the two of her siblings ran into the pavilion carrying a silk banner. It was a barn owl in a, about an old tree. From the opposite side of the pavilion, Clarice and her buddies ran in with another banner of the identical size.
but gaudy red, painted with a bloody spear and a boar's head. I turned to look and yelled over the noise. Those are the flags? Yeah! Eris and Athena always lead the teams? Not always, he said, but often. So, if another cabin captures one, what do you repaint the flag? What do you do? Repaint the flag? He grinned. You'll see. First, you have to get one. Whose side are you on? He gave me a sly look, as he knew something I didn't. The scar on his face made him look almost evil in the torchlight. We've made a temporary alliance with Etina. Tonight, we get the flag from Maris, and you are going to help. The teams were announced. Atina had made an alliance with Apollo and Hermes, the two biggest cabins, apparently. The privileges had been in traded. Shower, shower times, more short schedules, the best slots for activities, and order to win support. Aris had allied himself with everybody else. The nauseous Demeter, Aphrodite, and Patasis. From what I see, the nauseous kids were actually good with that, good athletes. But there were only two of them. The mirror's kids had the edge with nature skills and outdoor stuff, but they weren't very aggressive. Aphrodite's sons and daughters, I wasn't too worried about. They mostly set out at every activity and checked their reflections in the lake and did their hair and gossip. Hepatasis' kids weren't pretty, and there were only four of them, but they were big and burly from working in the mail shop all day. They might be a problem. That of the cor of course left Eris cabin. A dozen of the biggest, ugliest, meanest kids on Long Island or anywhere else on the planet. Karen hammered his hoof on the tape on the marble. Heroes, he announced. You know the rules. The creek is a boundary line. The entire forces Force is a fair game. All magic items are allowed. The banner must be prominently displayed and have no more than two guards. Prisoners may be disarmed, but may not be bound or gagged. No killing in Miami is allowed. I will serve as referee on the battlefield medic. Arm yourselves. He spread his hands, and the tables were suddenly covered with equipment. Helmets, bronze swords, spears, oxide shields, coated in metal. Whoa, I said, we are really supposed to use these. Luke looked at me as if I were crazy, unless you want to get scored by your friends in cabin 5. Here, Karen thought this was fake. You'll, you'll be on the bar patrol. My shield was the size of an NBA blackboard with big caduces in the middle. It weighed about a million pounds. I could have snowboarded on it fine, but I hope nobody seriously expected me to run fast. My helmet, like all the helmets on the Tina's side, had blue horsehair plume on top. Eris and their allies had red plumes. Annabeth yelled, Blue team, forward! We cheered and shook our swords and followed her down the path to the south woods. The red team yelled taunts at us as they headed toward north. I managed to catch up with Annabeth without tripping over my equipment. Hey, she kept marching. So what's the plan, I asked. Got any magic items you can loan me? 
Her hand drifted towards her pocket, as if she were afraid I'd stolen something. Just watch Clarice's spear, she said. You don't want the thing to touch you. Otherwise, don't worry. We'll take the banner for Mary's. Has Luke given you your job? Border patrol, whatever that means. It's easy. Stand by the creek, keep the reds away. Leave the rest to me. Atina always has a plan. She pushed ahead, leaving me in the dust. Okay, I mumbled. Glad you wanted me on your team. It was a warm, sticky night. The woods were dark, with the night with next to a little creek that gurgled over some rocks. Then she and the rest of the team scattered into the trees. Standing there alone with my biggest blue feathered helmet and my huge shield, I felt like an idiot. The bronze sword, like all swords I tried so far, seemed balanced wrong. The letter grip pulled on my hand like a bowling ball. There was no way anybody could actually attack me. Would they? I mean, Olympus had to have liability issues, right? Far away, the corn turned blue. I heard whoops and yells from the woods. The clanking of metal kids fighting a blue plum alley from Apollo raced past me like a deer. Leaped through the creek and disappeared into enemy territory. Great, I thought. I miss all the fun as usual. Then I heard a sound. And said that said a chill on my spine, a low counting growl somewhere close by. I reached my shield instinctively. I had a feeling someone was stalking me, and the growling stopped. I felt a presence of retreating. On the other side of the creek, thunderbush exploded. Five Irish warriors came yelling and screaming out the dark. Cream the punk! Clary screamed. Her ugly pea guys glared through the slits of her helmet. She brandished five-foot-long spear, a barbed metal tip flickering with red light. Her siblings had only the standard-issue bronze sword. Not that they made me feel any better. They charged across the stream. There was no help in sight. I couldn't run, or I could defend myself against half of the Eric's cabin. I managed to sidestep the first kid's swing, but their guys were not as stupid as the Minotaur. They surrounded me, and Clarice thrust at me with her spear. My shoulder fractured a point, but I felt a painful tugging all over my body. My hair stood on the end, my shield arm went numb, and the air burned. Electricity, her stupid spear was electric. I felt bad. Under Aris guy slammed me in the chest with the butt of his sword, and I hit the dirt. They could have kicked me to jelly, but they were too busy laughing. Give him a haircut, Clarice said. Grab his hair. I managed to get to my feet. I raised my sword, but Clarice slammed it aside with her spear as sparks flew. Now both my arms felt numb. Oh, wow, Clarice said. I'm scared of this guy. Really scared. The flag is that way, I told her. I wanted to sound angry. But I was afraid it didn't come out that way. Yeah, one of one of her siblings said. But see, we don't care about flag. We care about a guy who made our cabin look stupid. You do that without my help, I told them. It probably wasn't the smartest thing to say. Two of them came after me. I backed up towards the creek, tried to reach my shield. But Clarice was too fast. Her spill snuck me right in the ribs. If I hadn't been wearing an armored breastplate, I would have been shish kebabbed, as it was. The electric spear point 
just about shocked my teeth out of my mouth. One of her cabin mates slashed a sword across my arm, leaving a good-sized cut. Seeing my own blood made me seeing my old blood made me dizzy, warm and cold at the same time. No miaming, I managed to say. Oops, the guy said. Guess he lost me desert privilege. He pushed me up into a creek, and they landed with a splash. They all laughed. I figured as soon they were true being in the news, I would die. But then something happened. The water seemed to wake up my senses, as if I had just a bag of my mom's double espresso jelly beans. Clarice and our cabin mates came into the creek to get me. But I stood to meet them. I knew what to do. I swung the flat of my sword against the first guy's head and knocked his helmet clean off. I hit him so hard I could see his eyes were raiding as he crampled out into the water. Ugly number two and ugly number three came at me. I slammed one in the face with my shield and used my sword to shear off the other guy's horse help pony. Both of them backed up quickly. Ugly number four didn't look really anxious to attack, but Clarice kept coming. The point of her spear crackling with energy. As soon as she thrust, I caught the shaft between the edge of my shield and my sword, and I snapped it like a twig. Ah! She screamed. You idiot! You corpsman! Why? She probably would have said worse, but I smacked her between the eyes with my sword butt and sent her stumbling backward and off the creek. Then I heard yelling, elated screams, and I saw Luke racing toward the boundary line. And I saw Luke racing toward the boundary line with the red team's banner lifted high. He was flanked by a couple of Hermes guys covering his retreat, and a few Apollo behind him. Fighting off the Hepatasis kids, Darius folks got up, and Clarice muttered at the day's curse. A trick! she shouted. It was a trick! <laughs> they staggered after Luke. But I was, it was too late. Everybody converged on the creek Look, as Luke ran across the friendly territory. Our side exploded into cheers. The red banner shimmered and turned to silver. The boring spear were replaced with a huge cadastus, a symbol of Cabin 11. Everybody on the blue team picked up Luke and started carrying him around on their shoulders. Kyron cantered out from the woods and blew the corn's horn. The game was over. We'd won. I was about to join the celebration when Annabeth's voice right next to me in a creek said, Not bad, hero. I looked, but she wasn't there. Where the heck did you learn to fight like that? She asked. There shimmered. And she materialized, hoping, holding a Yankees baseball cap as if she'd just taken it off her head. I felt myself getting angry. I wasn't even faced by the fact that she'd just been invisible. You set me up, I said. You put me here because you knew Clarice would come after me. But, well, you said, look around the flag. You had it all figured out. Amber shrugged. I told you, Atina always always has a plan. A plan to get me pulverized. I came as fast as I could. I was about to jump in, but he shrugged. You didn't need my help. Then she noticed my wounded arm. How did you do that? Sword cut. I said, what do you think? No, it was a sword cut. Look at it. 
The blood was gone. Where the huge cut had been, there was a long white scratch, and even that was fading. As they watched, it turned into a small scar and disappeared. I, I don't get it, I said. Annabelle was thinking hard. I could almost see the gears turning. She looked down at my feet, then at Clarice's broken sphere, and said, Step out of the water, Percy. What? Let's do it. I came out of the creek and immediately felt bones higher. My arms started to go numb again. My adrenaline rush left me. I almost fell over, but Annabeth steadied me. Oh, sticks, she cursed. This is not good. I didn't want to assume it would be Zeus. But before I could ask what she meant, I heard a canine growl again but much more closer than before, a howl ripped through the forest. Oh, the camber's cheering died instantly. Karen shouted something in ancient Greek, which I should realize. Only later, I understood perfectly. Stand ready, my bow! Annabeth drew her sword. There in the rushes about was a black hound, the size of a rhino, with lava red eyes and fangs like daggers. It was looking straight at me. Nobody moved except Annabeth, who yelled, Percy, run! She tried to step in front of me, but the hound was too fast. It left over her, an enormous shadow with teeth and just as it hit me. As I stumbled backward and felt its razor-sharp claws ripping through my armor, there was a cascade of towering sounds, like 40 pieces of paper, being ripped one after another. From the hound's neck spouted a cluster of arrows. The monster fell dead at my feet. By some miracle, I was still alive. I didn't want to look underneath the ruins of my shredded armor. My chest felt like warm and wet, and I knew I was, it was a badly cat, cut. Another second, then the monster would have turned me into a hundred pounds of Delicastian meat. Chiron trotted next to us, a bow in his hand. His face screamed. Dear Mortalis, Annabeth said, that's a hell half a piece of field of punishment. They don't, they're not supposed to. Someone, someone did, Kyron said. Someone inside the camp. Luke came over, the banner in his hand forgotten, his moment of glory gone. Clarice yelled, It's all Percy's fault! Percy, someone did! Be quiet, child, Kyron told her. We watched the body of the hellhound melt into a shadow, soaking into to the ground until it disappeared. You're wounded, Annabeth told me. Quick, Percy, get in the water. I'm okay. No, you're not, she said. Kyron watched it. I was too tired to argue. I stepped back into the creek, and the whole camp gathered around me. Instantly, I felt better. I could feel the cuts of my chest closing up. Some of the campers gasped. Look, I don't, I don't know why, I said, trying to apologize. I'm sorry. But they weren't watching my wounds heal. They were staring at something above my head. Percy, Annabeth said, pointing... Um, the time I looked up, the sign was already fading, but I could still make out what the hologram of green light. Spinning and gleaming, a tree-tipped spear, a trident. Your father, Annabeth murmured, this is really not good. It is determined, Carton announced. All around me, campers started kneeling, even Aaron's cabin. Though they didn't look happy about it. My father, I asked, completely bewildered. Poseidon, Chiron said, said Chiron. Earthshaker, Stormbringer, Father of Hades, Horses, Hail, Perseus Jackson. Jackson, 
son of the sea god. That is the end of chapter 8. Please stay tuned for chapter 9.